0: It's a tale as old as Hollywood itself, a child actor making a nice amount of money and a nice name for herself, carving out a nice career, and then they grow up and suddenly they find their real life is butting in. What's even worse is that they found out that their parents have squandered their money. This is the story of Virginia Lee Corbin. Tim Lucier has a new book out called Berenice Flapper. It's about Virginia Lee Corbin, and it's published by McFarlane Publishing. Let's go to the interview now.
1: You have your new book out called Berenice Flapper. Now, this is about a star. Uh, she was a very big child star, Virginia Lee Corbin, but when she well, when she got older it wasn't it wasn't such a, a happy scene, was it?
2: Well, uh as far as her career, yes it was, uh, for the most part. Um but yeah, she had her troubles. Um you know, there were some minor court cases. Um her mother uh was both good and bad for her. Um and eventually she just felt that she had to break loose from her mother, got into a bad marriage. And then the most unfortunate thing was that she died very young from tuberculosis. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of good about her life, but uh, yeah, she, there were some sad things about her life as well.
1: Yes, and and uh, like you said, she, when she was when she was very young, she now she was in intolerance, or we believe she was in intolerance, correct? Mm-hmm.
2: We believe she was in intolerance. Um, actually, uh, I have looked at that clip at the end, I can't tell you how many times, and I even uh, contacted Kevin Brownlow about that, and he's viewed it. He actually went back and looked at it again for me, and he and I both agree it looks like it could be her, but we can't say for sure. And the odd thing is I have... Virginia Lee Corbin's personal scrapbook uh, that was given to me by her son that was kept by Virginia's mother during that period. And there is nothing whatsoever in that scrapbook that makes any reference to intolerance, which is kind of curious. You would think if she made an appearance in intolerance, her mother would have had something in the scrapbook about it.
1: So, exactly. Yeah, because and and she has, she had a a real, a real devout stage mother.
2: Yes, her uh, mother actually um, was intent on Virginia being a star. Of course, um, the interesting thing was is that she and her husband uh, actually agreed to part because he did not want his child to go into movies, and Virginia's mother wanted her to get into movies. So he went his way, and she went her way. They kept up um you know good relations, i suppose uh- she, with him seeing the children on occasion but um they never divorced, but they never lived together after that either
1: wow and And I love the story about how you began your book with with her son had never heard his mother's voice until the clip you found well he um he was about
2: two and a half somewhere along in there, I think when the parents divorced, so to say that he never heard his mother's voice is not exactly correct, but I know what he meant when he said it to me that you know he had no memory of his mother's voice, of course um so when I was able to find uh, a sound film, and she had a minor part in it. Uh, it was, I think, kind of a touching moment for him because, I mean, he got to hear his mother as an adult and hear her voice. Um, and and unfortunately, uh, Bob was his name. Um, Bob uh, just had a lot of regrets that he could have, uh, over the years, had contact with his aunt, Virginia's sister, as well as his grandmother. And it didn't happen for various reasons, you know, so he, he had some regrets going into his and he was in his sixties when I got to know him. And um so he really really, really regretted that he hadn't searched for these things earlier in his life when these people were still alive.
1: Exactly. And I remember reading in the book that Kevin Brownlow in his intro- he's written the introduction for your book. Right. Or the foreword, whatever. And um and he mentioned that Now, a lot of people may not have heard of Virginia Lee Corbin, and Kevin Brownlow was one of those people. He said, "How you know when he was searching when he was searching, researching her life rather, he couldn't find hardly anything. You were able to rebuild a lot of it."
2: Well, um, fortunately, the the initial contact with her son, who called me back in 1998, um, led to all of this. he decided, like I said, in his 60s that he wanted to know more about his mother. I had written an article for a silent movie website uh, called The Silence Majority, uh which doesn't exist anymore, uh, and it was a review of bare Knees, and he saw that review, somehow got my phone number and called me, uh, wanting to know if I had any more information on his mother, which I didn't, but Bob only lived about three hours away from me. Um, and so I actually went and spent some weekends with he and his wife, got to know him, and just kind of got on a mission to find out as much as I could, uh, about Virginia Lee Corbin for, for her son. And so, uh, unfortunately, Bob passed away in 2002. Um, and I've just continued that search over the years. And really, it took me about 20 years before I felt like I was in a position to, to start writing a book about her life.
1: Now, the, let's explain to people the story behind the title, Bare Knees Flapper, Virginia Lee Corbin, probably, would you say, her most famous movie is Bare Knees.
2: I think that's the movie that most people today are going to identify her with thanks to Grapevine Video, actually, because it was back in the 90s when they first brought that film to video, and, of course, they still offer it to this day. And... um It's also uh, one of her best movies simply because, first of all, she is star of the movie. Um, I mean, it's not a great movie. It's not going to be on anybody's top ten list, but it's a fun movie. It's an enjoyable movie. It's got uh, so much going for it, Uh, and Virginia Lee Corbin is just absolutely charming in the movie. Uh, I think anybody who's seen it really, really likes the movie a lot.
1: See, and the clips that I saw of her when she had grown up it looked like she would stand a little bit slumped over was she a very ta- was she a tall individual for a woman she was uh, she was not real tall no
2: i mean hmm. i think she may have been like 5'6" five, 5'8" five, somewhere along in there right
0: um,
2: there's one of her movies that uh from the early 30s um, where she's in a room with three other ladies, and of course, she is taller than all the rest of them. But who knows? The other ladies may have been five foot. So,
1: <laughs> you know. Yes. <Yeah. laughs> um,
2: but, but, uh, yeah, I think, think she was, um, on the taller side, I think. Let's put it that way.
1: All right. Now, you, uh, you used to run a website called, or do you, you still run it? Silence or Golden. I'd love to mention that. Silence or com. That's correct. And how did you get started and how did you develop a passion for silent movies?
2: Well, to tell you the truth, I had always been like a Laurel and Hardy fan because growing up in the, you know, like the 50s and 60s, you know, I'd see Laurel and Hardy on TV. And um, I saw one one time that uh, was one of the compilation uh, movies, you know, and it was all Laurel and Hardy shorts. And I mean sorry, it was silent, all law and the heart is silent. Mm-hmm. Uh clips from those movies. And it just happened that right on the heels of seeing that on T V one day, um I got a I saw an ad from Black Hawk films. I'd never heard of Black Hawk films. And they had um uh, they had three silent comedies uh on sale for half price. And this was back in nineteen seventy five. And I happened to have uh an 8mm projector that was my father-in-law's. I had never used it. I didn't have any 8mm film. But I ordered one of these, and of course I ordered Laurel and Hardy first. Got it home, watched it, and just kind of began from there. I ordered the other two movies. Uh, couldn't wait each month to get those Black Hawk catalogs. Uh, I would buy every silent movie book that I could get my hands on. Uh, I've traveled as far as maybe eight hours away to go see a silent movie on a night, spend the night, and come back the next day. (laughs) So, uh, you know, and, and of course, the Internet was a blessing when it came along because now I can obviously, you know, gather a whole lot more information, make a whole lot more contacts, have a lot more access to silent movie materials and so
1: on. Exactly. Now, getting back to Virginia Lee Corbin, the story, her life story except for the part of dying young, it reminded me a lot of Jackie Coogan who had made a lot of money but as it turned out when he got older, it turned out his parents had, had spent it all. Right. And almost the very same thing happened to uh, Corbin, didn't it?
2: Yeah, that was uh, a part of the problem. What happened with Virginia? Um, first of all, uh, she when she finished with her child star years. I think her mother uh, made a wise decision for her. Uh, they left movies. She went into vaudeville. She traveled throughout, uh, actually, the Northwest, uh, as far over as Chicago and then as far up as Vancouver. She was in Wisconsin, Utah, Oregon, Washington, California, um, and had a very successful uh vaudeville career for a couple of years. But it gave her an opportunity to grow up a little bit, too. And when she finally came back and had a movie in 1923, see, she would have only been 12 years old. But she had a part in a movie called Enemies of Children that was perfect for her age. But in the ensuing years, she began to play parts that were older. You know, she might be uh, 13 years old in Wine of Youth that MGM made in 1924. But she's playing a flapper, and she's playing someone older than what she really was. Um, and she typically got cast for, for parts that were older. Um, she was very good. She was very much in demand. But when she got around 16 or so, I think she began to get interested in social life. Um, I do not have anything in the book that can verify that she had any certain boyfriend or even anything about her dating some suppositions that I make because of, you know, tidbits that you find. But I think that she began to assert her independence and began to clash with her mother. And I think her mother was very controlling and did not want Virginia to grow up. She wanted her to be that five-year-old, six-year-old in the Fox Kitty features. And so uh, Virginia finally got to the point where she was butting heads with her mother to the point that in 1927, her mother tried to commit suicide after they had an argument. And that just blew the top off of it for Virginia. Uh, she went to the courts. She asked, well, she tried to get her mother committed for insanity uh, and probably would have gotten her committed if her sister hadn't stepped in and said, well, whoa, let's don't do this, you know. Yes. Um, and um, But she did request that the courts appoint a guardian for her. And, uh, of course, at that time said her mother had spent everything that she had earned. She mentioned in one article that her mother had gambled away the money. But, you know, the writing was on the wall over the years because even as far back as her Fox days, there were all these little petty things that popped up where they owed people money. And it never was a large amount. It was always $500, $300, something like that. But it was like they never paid their bills. And then the times that I can confirm where she lived, like around the nineteen twenty seven period I mean they lived in three different homes in twelve months, which kind wow. of leads you to believe that something's suspicious there, you know so exactly. um yeah you know, i I don't think her mother was a very good manager of her money, but apparently her mother deserves some credit for getting her into films and you know pushing her career along but when Virginia got old enough to assert her independence, I think that's when, you know, it all broke loose.
1: Now this is this is um this book, as you stayed in as you stayed in the book, you're gonna be writing more books on Virginia Lee Corbin, aren't you?
2: Well, to tell you the truth that's not exactly the plan at the moment. I I oh, honest okay. with you, Jim, I don't know exactly what I I'm gonna do next. Um You know, as far as Virginia is concerned, this is probably it, Uh, unless there would be a films of kind of book, and I'm just not sure how much demand there would be for that. Um, Plus, also, I need to explain what I tried to do with this book. I mean, we're talking about some of the troubles that she had, but that's not what I focused on in the book. Right. I tried my best to focus on her career because she was a darn good actress. And if you get to see any of her movies, you'll see that she was just as adorable, she was pretty, she was charming, and she handled any part that was thrown at her just admirably, even when she was a child. Um, And I wanted to document her career. So her films are pretty well documented in this book. Um, I, I did, you know, make sure that there was at least some kind of a synopsis, tell a little bit about the film, tell a little bit about the other people that were in the film, uh, so that the reader could kind of get an idea of the type of film she made, what her part was in the film, maybe how successful the film was. So I suppose what I'm saying is, although a film's of could be a consideration, um it may be that I have already covered that topic in this book.
1: I see, okay. For some reason, I thought you said you you were going to uh, like some other aspects of her life was for another book. Um, no,
2: I don't think so. You know, like I said, I think I have documented her life, which was my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, one of her two sons still survives, still still is around today, and he and I. Oh,
1: yeah,
2: and um, you know, of course, he knows about the book, and he's looking forward to receiving a copy and I'm looking forward to his reaction to the book because he has not read it. Yes. Um so um you know it was kind of I had promised Bob uh 20 years ago that I was going to write a book and I was determined I was going to keep that promise. And uh I'm just sorry Bob's not around to read it today but but Phil his brother is. So it's kind of um you know a promise that I made to myself and Bob that you know i've accomplished that now and i feel like i can just kind of move on to the
1: next thing all right great well i think that's what i do and um yeah we uh yeah i i really i really appreciate you doing this i really do because um i enjoy talking to people about these and about these books and it's so much fun to to find out things um the uh the podcast is going to go up on Saturday night. Okay. Um, and it's it's all it's already carried by Apple and Google and um, like Stitcher and Anchor and all the rest of these services. So, so you know it's it's getting out there. And okay. um, but I'm really hoping that you know Nick, I mean, you say you're not working on any books at the moment. Is that correct? Uh,
2: no, and, and, um, this just came to mind because I don't know if, if I had mentioned this or not, but well in the process of working with Grapevine Video on getting, uh, one of her movies out on video, uh, that has not been out, uh, and that I got from the Library of Congress. It was a Dutch print. The movie is called Headlines, and it was made in 1926. It actually stars Alice Joyce and, and Virginia Lee Corbin as her daughter. Um, it's a very good movie. I'm not sure exactly when we're going to get it out, but uh, hopefully uh, the book and the movie will be out sometime around, you know, early fall, I hope. Um, so anyway, the the uh, movie is, is another thing, uh, Virginia's that I'm working on trying to see if I can get it out so, so people can see her and uh, see what great work she did in the movie.
0: Berenice Flapper is published by Macfarland Publishing and written by Tim Lucier. Join us next time on the Juno Files when we'll be talking with Thomas Gladich, who has a new book out called Louise Brooks The Persistent Star.